I wanted to talk to you about plagiarism. I mean, this is something we've been trying to discuss for years, I guess, especially in the juggling community, right? And, um, well, I don't think it's going to do much good to have the normal conversation about plagiarism. It doesn't go very far. I mean, it's, it seem it kind of sticks, uh, uh, between us and, and anyway, there's no sort of universal, uh, truth or agreement on the subject in the juggling world. But, um, recently you told me about some, some new thoughts you had about plagiarism or in relationship to that topic that I thought were really fun. So I wondered if you could explain that to me. Uh, yeah, I can do that. Uh, I, just to say about plagiarism and discussions about it, I, I also, I mean, I felt very, very much like you and I thought I was, I was done. <laughs> yeah. I was done thinking about it and talking about it and we had discussed it so much and yeah, I was just done, but, um, it just goes in circles. All yeah. The time. It's, it's circles yeah. and it is what it is. And I've <laughs> kind of come to peace with that. Yeah, me too. So it, it's not, not a problem. And just to state really clearly, I think that, uh, I, I don't know. I have this opinion that no, nobody else has. And that, I mean, that is the crux of the issue, which is fine. But I just don't get why, especially in today's day and age with digital communication, you can't just talk to people. You can just like ask them, hey, would it be, hey, I saw this thing you did. I would like to, you know, poke around with it or could I try it or whatever. Just have a conversation. I don't think it's. It's that hard, but of course, then that just quickly devolves into you can't ask every single person to do the cascade <laughs> or whatever. And it's just like, yeah, but I'm just talking about being reasonable and human, but apparently being reasonable and human and just kind and nice and respectful to each other is too much to ask sometimes. So I just let it go. And this is where we're at. Yeah, that's good. And <clears throat> I think the examples that I'm going to bring up now, they're perhaps not reasonable. So this could be fun. <laughs> Well, I think your ideas are more just to have a discussion. I don't think it's a, it's a final statement or any, you know, only one opinion. It's, it's just to bring up these ideas, which is great. Yeah, let's, let's see. Okay. <clears throat> so th just to give a little bit of a, uh, how, how I got into this, this, it's kind of two, two things. The first thing is that one thing that I do quite often, just in my own practice, is I, I draw out these spectrums. So an example of this, and this is not very complicated. It's just like, okay, let's take the history of juggling for an example. So you have evidence of different events in the history of juggling. So what I do is I draw a line and you have an end to your right and an end to your left. And that's the spectrum. So at your right, you will have uh, today. So the most recent evidence of juggling, which could be anything. I could juggle now and take a picture or a video of it, and that could be it. Mm. Uh, and on the, to your left, the, the left end of the line would be the oldest trace of juggling. So there we have that image of women jugglers in the 15th and 17th tomb at Beni Hassan in Egypt. Mm. So we could put that image uh, to the left. So now, conceptually, this this uh, line, you could fill in every evidence of juggling that there is on mm. this line, right? So it's just a it's just a a way of of uh, 
localizing something that you're thinking about or situating something or being like, okay, I'm going to look at, you know, can I think of 10 examples that are like high up on the spectrum or 10 examples that are far down on the spectrum or in the middle or spread along it or, you know, you can do a bunch of things once you have a spectrum like that. And one thing I like to do then is try to think about how you can conceptually break the spectrum. So that's another exercise that you could do with this. And uh, in terms of this idea of making a spectrum like this, uh, I would say that what was influential was this piece by John Cage, the 433, that we've talked about before on the, on the podcast, which is the four minutes and 33 seconds of silence. And there's a bunch of different interpretations of this piece, but uh, what was relevant for me in this is that okay so it's it's music and there's silence so you could make a spectrum like that and you can imagine to your left you can imagine the end point being this piece John Cage the complete silence and then at the other end of the spectrum what do you get there some kind of maximum idea of sound or music that you could try to conceptualize right and and then this spectrum hypothetically could contain all examples of music that there is okay mm -hmm. yeah so yeah so i was doing this and uh and in circus uh we've had recently uh a, a, well kind of a scandal i guess uh that circulates around this french uh, guy called joan bourgeois yeah and it's it's not that this scandal or scandal is recent i mean he's been doing these things for years and it just it and and behind the scenes, these discussions were taking place in private. And what happened was that this discussion was made public recently. That was the event, really. Right, right. So so that happened, and I was, I mean, I wasn't thinking too much about that. Uh, but but it was still like it came up, and I was like, oh, here we go, like plagiarism again. Yeah, because like, well, you explain what that was really quickly. That you maybe skipped over the explanation of what was his deal or what was the thing? Well, what, what surfaced was that someone made a video where they juxtaposed his works, work. works by Juan and works by other people that predated his. Yeah. And showed basically that they were extremely similar. Yeah. So basically saying that he was, um, well, more or less stealing material from other people or stealing concepts or whatever. Right. I mean, that's up to interpretation, of course. Uh, but that was the intention of the video was was obviously in that direction of like, yeah. hey, this guy's this guy's taking everybody else's work and saying it's it's his own. And 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 I think the other um, important part of that was that he was getting a lot of fame and fortune for it. I think. Right. Yeah, I think that was what is he the artistic director of something in Grenoble I think it's some he has some position I, now that I think I mean now I'm I'm really speaking out of turn but I think he I know he at least lost the opening ceremony of the upcoming Olympics because of this video oh really so he did lose some status and some business over this okay. whole controversy because it's a big deal I mean it was in the it was in the newspapers like the mainstream mm -hmm. newspapers in France this is is not a little uh, you know, this is not like in some little circus blog, <laughs> like, okay. like on Facebook. It's like a real, it's a real thing in the, in the cultural institutions in France. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, for me, in terms of me and like my little world, like it didn't, 
it I, I never <laughs> dug quite deep in it. It was just this this thing that passed me on Facebook and on you know I heard people talk about it and and I was thinking like, oh okay, we're gonna have the, the same <laughs> conversation again that we have every year for the past, you know. Yeah, well I I'd known about his work for years because my friend explained to me he went down through um this guy's show and then scene for scene said and this was years ago mm. scene for scene said oh this scene is from this company showed me a video mm. this scene is from this company showed me their website mm. and what 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 the habit of how this guy would make his show is a lot of times he would invite he would invite you to come to be a guest performer with him for a few months so you would come and do your work with him as a as an invited guest which felt which felt good but during that time he would uh, talk to you and kind of uncover and learn how you did what you did and then after those three or four months you were gone but your piece was not <laughs> so that was kind of a weird or you know that's a yeah. pretty strange process <laughs> yeah uh, a little bit different than the normal i'm just going to copy what you do and, and not talk to you it was really more like i invite you into my house <laughs> so i can rob you or whatever but yeah anyway um no but anyway so i me personally i wasn't too interested in like discussing it more like i felt like the i've had the discussion so many times and about like, plagiarism I, yeah, yeah i could have it again like in my mind hasn't changed and probably nobody else yeah exactly it's just <laughs> yeah. like oh okay well yeah but, but but since i was doing the spectrum work i was just like okay maybe maybe there's some other angle that i could that i could do something that's related to this that that's fun for me that's perhaps you know approaches this from a new angle give some it, new information with some right right some right because it, yeah. if i'm going to go into a conversation about this just as is then it's going to be the same conversation as i've already had yeah so that was not interesting to me so then i was like okay how do i how do i shift perspective somehow or or shift focus and perhaps there's something interesting there yeah so that was the starting point. So I went back to these spectrums and then I was just like, well, I should start by doing a spectrum of originality. Okay. So same simple thing. You draw a line and to your right, you have your end dot there, which is going to be pure originality. Mm. And then to your left, the point is going to be uh, uh, something completely unoriginal. Sure. There is no originality whatsoever. And then pure originality on the other side, right? Mm. And that could be something like a spectrum of, of all works in terms of originality. And you could place whatever whatever you find, you could analyze it and be like, well, this is, you know, somewhere over here. I mean, it's going to be very arbitrary, of course. And, you know, but it, it's still for, for your own thinking, perhaps it could be interesting. Mm. So so I did that and then I was just like, okay, well, far down the spectrum, you have kind of the Rayshon St. Jules area. So <laughs> Rayshon St. Jules. Okay, I can, I can say that. I went, I went to Vegas when I was, I don't know, 16 or something. Yeah. And I was too young to get into the shows legally. I mean, I think he had to be 18 at least because it was, he was performing in some uh, strip shows. Like, I mean, he was an interlude in some sort of, you know, uh, topless review. So I had to learn at the time, whatever year you had to be born to be to be 18 right because that was the that was the test the ushers would ask you you know what year were you born and you had to say the right answer that would add up to at least 18 so i learned that i got into the show and then there was rajon st jules and you've seen lately he even had videos coming out of him and his son 
doing the triangles side by side, the Michael Motion triangle. So he taught his son the act as well. Um, but at the time in Vegas, uh, he had performed the triangle and I went up to him afterwards and I just said, <laughs> I mean, I was 16, so I was just such just a stupid punk, you know, little punk kid. I was like, hey man, you do Michael Motion's triangle, what's up with that? And then Rajan St. Jules said, no, 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 no. I'm doing my own work because, and then he listed three reasons or something. But the first one was my, my triangle is transparent. So he had built it out of, you know, acrylic sides or some plexiglass sides or something. Uh, number two, yeah, it was number two, I use black light. Uh, so he had, he had at the end of the act, he puts on a black light and he has fluorescent silicone balls. So they glow. Mm-hmm. Um, and number three was either like I do four balls or um, I use music. No, the, the music. Is yeah, use mu- that's what it was. Yeah, I use yeah. music is what he said. Yeah. And, those, and, and so then in his mind, he's like, yep, so therefore I'm doing a new thing, you know. Yeah, and fair enough, like those things are true. Oh, absolutely, absolutely true statement yeah. um, on, on one level. And also just to clarify the triangle, what's that? Well, it's a triangle, it's about two meters high. and you Hey, hey, if anybody's in. listening to this, they know what the triangle is. And okay. if they don't, then that's their problem. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, so I was just like, that's the first thing that I did when I had this spectrum. I was like, oh, Rayshawn St. Jules, like, well, he's pretty far to the left here, but he's not all the way to the left. No, totally. Because there's the triangle is transparent. Right. There's black, black light, light and the, the music. music is different. Right. Yeah. So he, he, he managed to push a little bit into, oh, the, into absolutely. the thing. Absolutely. And I mean, you can always, we can, we don't need to get philosophical, but you can also argue that nobody will ever be all the way to the left because of your hair is different than mine and, right. and you yeah. breathe differently than me and blah, 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 right? Your birth, different birthday. Yeah. I mean, whatever. I mean, for me, that sounds silly, but it's almost, just to say for me, almost as silly as Rajon St. Jules being like, my triangle is transparent. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I had that and, oh, okay, that was slightly amusing. Uh, so then I was like, okay, I could make another spectrum, which is the amount of work that you put into uh, an artwork. Okay. So for example, let's say you're a painter, you, uh, you, you know, you make some paint, you tighten the canvas, you paint, uh, right? You, you do some, some work sure. to create this artwork. So there again, like now it becomes a very strange spectrum, but you could imag- imagine an artwork that has very much work to make it. I don't know what an example could be, but we could, I mean, okay, let, here's a good one. The Ai Weiwei, you know, the little bird seeds. Have you seen that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he um, employed, I don't know, like thousands of people, I guess, to paint these little ceramic bird seeds mm. and then just fills this entire, yeah, I mean, a huge room with them, like thick so you can walk around in them. And, and yeah, I mean, you could start to count hu- you know, human hours of, like, like right. how many hours of human labor. Exactly. Does it take yeah. to produce a work? And if you take a studio like, I don't know, Olaf or Iliasen or Jeff Koons or something, yeah. you have hundreds of people working for them. Yeah. You just multiply those hours, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So let, let's just for fun, let's place that work at the far end of the spectrum. Mm. And then, so what's on the other side? Well, that's zero work. Like you haven't done anything. <laughs> so what's that? Like, oh, okay. So I was thinking a little bit about that or thinking about things that could be situated Closer, very closer close to that to point. zero work right because yeah. again that's a philosophical point if you don't do anything how can you do anything but 
yeah, without exactly, getting stuck exactly. in that. Like that's... there's a bunch of, of, of navigation you have to do over there. That's kind of interesting to think about. Yeah. So Senna's like, okay, well, Ai Weiwei, he didn't paint those bird seeds. Like mm. they're outsourced. Yeah. So then I started thinking about that. Like out of all the work that's done in order to create an artwork, mm-hmm. how much is done by the artist and how much is outsourced? Right. And again, you get this a similar type of spectrum where you have to your right, you have all of the work is outsourced. Mm-hmm. And to your left, you have everything. You do everything yourself. You do everything yourself. Yeah. All right. So then I was thinking about that a little bit like, well, you know, like back in the day, everybody did everything on their own. But then it depends a little bit how you break it down. Like, did you mix the paint from, you know, the 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 powder? What's it mm-hmm. called? No, exactly. Yeah, there was that. There was that artwork uh, for, by that artist who made a toaster out of the raw materials of how you make a toaster. So mm-hmm. made metal, made an electrical cord covered in rubber. Had to make rubber from the, mm-hmm. you know, the the most, uh, yeah, exactly original ingredients in right, each right, of those right, components. Right. Yeah, and like and also like how far you're gonna push that. Let's say you're gonna make something out of wood. You're gonna plant the tree and have it exactly. grow first. Like you can do a lot of how things. How far back there. do you go? How far back you're gonna go? So yeah. I was thinking about that a little bit, and it's like, okay, that's kind of interesting too, like pushing things to zero there. Right. So here came somewhere along around here came the task, right? Like, what's the task? Well, the task is to produce a work that has zero originality. It contains zero work. <laughs> it's just you push everything to the far end of the spectrum, right? Okay, but can I no. can I ask really fast? Do you no. have uh, do you have in your in your upcoming <laughs> thoughts here the do you have those response the normal responses to hey, staple answers to yeah can yeah. we do that or is that coming up? Oh, we can do that now. That's fine. Yeah, I just remember. doesn't really have a place. We could do that. Yeah, now. yeah. I just remembered that before you get too deep into this task. Yeah, okay. Because they're, fu- they're pretty fun. Yeah, so yeah, one thing that I did and we did together a little bit was that since we've had these discussions so many times and we've witnessed these discussions so many times, you start to, like, there's this list of stable answers yeah like standardized answers standardized answers when you're accused of plagiarism when you're confronted with yeah what how do you respond exactly so there's like hey hey eric you you know eric you you stole my (laughs) you stole my idea and then you say do you have one (laughs) yeah yeah okay so i have six Uh, there's five and then there's a bonus so the first one is no i had not seen the original when i made my work so we both created independently. Mm-hmm. That's, that's good. And and again, that that might be true and it might be false, but that's just a. These are just common answers that people right. give. We're no. not saying we're not saying that these are good defenses or bad defenses. This is just it's just like hey, you stole my thing or you copied my thing uh, without permission or whatever. And then that's like one of the things that everybody always says. Well, I made it and you made it, right? That's just like a, yeah. a common thing that people say. Yeah. So no evaluation. It's just that they have been frequent. That's right. The right. Thing. Okay. Number two, uh, then I would respond. It is not the same. 
it is different in the aspect of, and then you insert some insignificant, insignificant. variation. <laughs> like Trajan St. Jules. So there you have staple answer number two. Right. Staple answer number three. Then I would go, many others have done similar things as me and who you're saying is the originator. Yeah. We are all examples of a greater established style of similar works. Yeah. Every hey, you saying I'm stealing this? Well, everybody's doing the same thing that I'm doing, so therefore I'm part of this bigger thing. Yeah. It's not just me. Yeah, what about so and so? What about so and so? What about so and so? It's all very similar. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, number four. So I'm accused of, of stealing something something and then I go, No, 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 it's open source. We share everything. You get to copy me and I get to copy you. Exactly. Hey, Hey, you took my trick. Well, that's fine. I mean, I, I, I give you my trick. You give me your trick. Yeah. You can have my trick if I get your trick. You know? <laughs> yeah. No. All right. Number five uh, is, yeah, I took it, but I learned it. I put in the time and the effort. I invested the time and the energy and the resources to make this. So I earned it. Yeah. And that, that one... Um... I've seen that used often by not necessarily the person who's been accused of, of stealing something, but more around, but more about the community around that person of just giving respect and justification of like, well, I don't know if they stole it because they put in the time to learn that, you know, like, let's say it's some sort of hard juggling trick and they go, yeah, I don't know if he stole it because, you know, they put in the hours to, to, to be able to do it. So therefore it's theirs. They earned it. It's a, yeah, a yeah. validation of the process i guess right so here comes the bonus well the bonus one was one you had right right so this is not a staple i've only heard yeah, yeah. this once in Ex- my life and it was but it was for you <laughs> and it was for me so there but was, i was so blown away yeah but the, but, but it's, it's fun like, to say the context a little bit that you've made you'd made your your these ghost cubes well I'll, I'll say it like this i had made a, this sculpture it's just a cube with holes in it yeah and then i saw someone else do an exact same uh, object and, it, but, and, and and just to say the measurements were there and it was exactly the same down to two millimeter difference but also the this person who did this it wasn't out of nowhere it wasn't just you were doing a google image search and no no, no, found no. Somebody it was across a the person world. that was well aware of me and exactly and he had also had a history of of your <laughs> of this with your work i have to say well Never mind that, but but uh, <laughs> yes, it was very similar and fair enough. Like the ori- it's just a cube with holes. It's not that original to begin with, but it was just striking to me that it was so similar. Uh, it was just and obvious the same same time. It was obvious so, in the context of so what was happening. Was like, but okay. you you wrote you confronted him. Yeah, well, I wrote him an email and I yeah, just to say what's up. No, you yeah, just, I wasn't pissed off or I wasn't no, no. mean to him. I was just like wondering, like, hey, what, what's what's happening here and like. It's very similar to this. Like, I'm just curious. Like, what, absolutely what, having a discussion. What, what's what's your what's your thinking? And like, perhaps you hadn't seen mine, or or yeah, what's going on? Yeah, and then they, so he wrote me back. He said this, and he, uh, yeah, and this is kind of like a work of art in itself. He said <laughs> that. Oh no! Of course, he knew of me and 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 my work, and he could absolutely see that it was you know the almost spot on similar. Yeah. It was very, very, it was almost identical. Yes. However, 
And, and also he said, oh yeah, like I saw yours before I did mine. Totally. Like it was all transparent. However, I was not thinking of you when I did mine. Yeah. I, yeah. Oh, I totally knew about the Statue of Liberty. But when I made my Statue of Liberty, I wasn't thinking about the first Statue of Liberty. I was thinking about something else. Yeah. Okay. And then he, he listed some vague references to things that aren't, you know, I could understand like the, the association, but. I just want to say one more. I mean, again, let's not dive into these, but, but uh, I just want to say one more time that whether that's the case or not, you were thinking of something else. You live in a world where your cubes exist as well. And you, and not only live in a world where they both exist, but in a community a local community, a local artist community. So I'm just saying there is some, you know, whatever. We're not alone in this world. That's my point. Right, right. But maybe we get back to your task of... of yeah, so I, yeah, I was trying to conceptualize this task of making a work that's purely unoriginal and contains zero work. And just to say you could have done the other end of the spectrum, which you were going to make a work that was completely a thousand percent original and took all the work in the world. You could. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Okay. But you chose to do I, the other. I wanted the, to do the unoriginal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. That seemed to require with no less, work. less time with less with no more work. Yeah. yeah, so just to give a couple of other references that were, were just present when I was doing this thinking. So, for example, very famous, of course, Marcel Duchamp's Fountain, which is just the urinal that he signed and put in a gallery. And I believe, Armat. Yeah, Armat, he signed it. Because he didn't want to sign it with his own name, because then yeah of course then people might recognize that and yeah. you get into a whole other field of of evaluation when there's a famous person to do it so he signed it with a pseudonym that no one recognized but i was thinking about the fountain and i assume that duchamp he just bought it or he got it in some like god maybe he stole it who knows like but he he didn't or, make this or movie. he had somebody buy it or he, he had someone, someone gave it. it to him or yeah however right he acquired it in some way right yeah yeah so the the act of actually making since that's an established i mean that's like art history now that urinal no one's arguing today mm. that that's not a piece of work right. of art right right so the actual making of art, you can't really... It's hard to argue that that's essential to something being an artwork. Right? That you created something with your own hands exactly. is, is a component of it being a valid piece of art. Yeah, I don't think that's a... There thing. you go. That's not a thing anymore. He did sign it, though. But that's... that's a, So that's another question. Is the signature, is that what makes something a piece of art? Or right. makes it authentic to him as an author? Yeah. And I mean, plenty of artworks are not signed, so you can't really argue that either, I thought. Yeah. So then w what's this thing? Like, what's authorship? Like, what is the component? Yeah, is, it, is, it, is it the title that he called it, you know, Fountain? <laughs> is that what made it art? Yeah, uh, or is it, is it the idea that he had the idea to take this urinal and put it in the gallery? Is that what makes him the author? Yeah. And makes it a art artwork? So that was kind of what I wanted to investigate a little bit. Uh, I made one more... One more uh, spectrum, spectrum here that yeah. I should bring up before yeah, yeah. I go into the works. So that was some kind of spectrum on 
the amount of ideas that goes into an artwork. Because mm. you could say that an artwork contains just one idea, perhaps, or that can artwork contains many ideas like well one idea is that i'm gonna you know find a something from a bathroom and then the other idea is that i'm gonna sign it and a third idea is maybe i'm gonna paint you know i'm gonna shine a light on it like you could add I, ideas and of course that can be con con conceptualized in different ways too like it, it's kind of arbitrary but for one's own sake of thinking like it's an exercise that you could do like how many ideas does a specific artwork contain? Mm. So I made a spectrum spectrum like that. So I thought, okay, well, it kind of has to have one idea. Like I couldn't really imagine an artwork that didn't contain any ideas at all. What's that? It's like mm. even because even absence is an idea somehow. Yeah. So okay, so maybe someone is more clever than I am, but I wrote one on the one end of the spectrum, mm. and then on the other hand, other end of the spectrum. I was like, okay, what's the maximum amount of ideas? Well, I want to be, I want this to be about reality because you could just say infinite, right? Right. But then I was like, ah, that's not so fun. But, you know, maximum, what's the maximum that a human could uh, conceive? Mm -hmm. Maximum amount of ideas, ideas. But then I was like, well, we do have technology. So, and we use that all the time. And we'd, it would be silly to not, include the aspect of technology too so then i made this fictional number that i called mahuabta number so it's maximum human ability with technological assistance assistance so the first one or two letters in each of those words becomes mahuabta maximum human ability with technological assistance mm. so that number which is just a conceptual number but it's at the other end of the spectrum Mm. so it's all the ideas and again for the task that i was setting myself up for of course i wanted to push the spectrum as far as possible to one uh, just a quick uh i want to say you were talking because you're making these spectrums and they're for yourself i mean it's a personal thing for you these spectrums to give you some way to organize information in your brain or to have an inspiration or have a conversation with yourself so it's arbitrary the ends of the spectrum yes but i think when you're saying okay What's the maximum number number of ideas? Well, it could be infinity. And then you said to yourself, well, that's maybe not so, that's maybe technically true, but that doesn't really help me out in what I'm trying to, to do here. Uh, I think about that all the time um, with my juggling, that you have some sort of problem you're trying to solve. So you go to the conceptual answer of what would be the most extreme way to solve this. But then you get into this area of, I'll say, philosophy or something. Because, you know, the answer will be infinity, but then in practical terms, that's basically a philosophical answer. And I just remember one time I was in the, in the, in the circus school teaching um, Emil, Emil Dahl, and I, we were working on some extra, like we were going to do some choreographic stuff. And I said, hey, pick your, pick the hardest trick you can do. And then we're going to do some, we were working with drops and sort of rhythm of performance and whatever. So I was like, let's just pick the hardest trick you can do. There's probably going to be some mistakes and some failures that we can work with in this choreographic way to talk about dropping in a performance or whatever. And I remember Emil said to me, okay, the hardest trick, uh, does it have to be a trick that I can do? And then, and then I was, cause in my mind, I'm like, yes, like I had just assumed that that was going to be a thing that you could physically do because we were going to work, we were going to physically work with it. 
But it was kind of funny to be confronted with that moment of, and then I was just like, no, Emil, it doesn't have to be like, what was he going to say? Right. <laughs> because it's like a hundred club back crosses while hopping on one leg with my eyes closed and I'm on fire. And, and I mean, it was funny in the moment of that assignment in that, in that context of the classroom, but I think it was also a funny fantasy to, to say, no, it's not it. So Eric, what's the hardest trick you can do? And basically you take it to me and what's the hardest trick you can imagine? Yeah. And I think that's a pretty funny idea too, but I do, I am, conf- I, I, I do come up with this idea many times when I'm creating something where it's like, you don't want to go to the philosophical extreme. It's not really helpful. Well, you can go there and then you can come back. Yeah. I think that's useful. Like you just go there and you go, okay, now I've had these thoughts. And then it's like, well, if I'm going to, if I want to actually do something, yeah. it's probably more productive to kind of go back into reality again. There you go. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think it is fun. Like Amaron had the robot in the forest that did <laughs> all the juggling tricks. Yeah. I mean, I, when he said that, I was like, thought it was a little bit silly, but like, it's still something I think about, you know? Oh, I don't think, I don't think it was silly. And, and basically just to explain that, it, it was really fun. He was asking, cause we were talking about definition of juggling. And when you think about the definition of juggling, I think the first thing you start with is the idea of technique. Yeah. So where when does technique break down that throwing this ball becomes not is juggling and then at some point in the technique it becomes not juggling. And I think a lot of people approach that problem with saying that throwing the ball is bad or boring. They think the it's some sort of value judgment of the technique in terms of their interest. And mm-hmm. you know that's just that's just like kind of the first the first point you kind of your brain goes to. And Amron was saying if there was a robot in the forest that I mean, nobody sees, well, that was, that was the forest yeah. part. So it's far away in the forest. It's hidden in the, and you just imagine this forest far away. And in the middle of the forest, there's a robot that can do any, any move possible or any trick possible with a ball or a club or any shape or anything. And then the robot started doing fantastical movements with objects that you've never seen before in your life. Then, you know, again, a technique that was just kind of, so far beyond the context of what we think of as technique now, um, is that juggling was his question. And I thought yeah. that was a really cool example of yeah, that. Yeah, it is really, I think it is really good to go there. It, but it, I mean, you say silly. I, I agree. It was a very funny image to me because I was trying to imagine, <laughs> and I think Amron was too, trying to imagine the movements that this robot was doing. <laughs> and I think it's, a, it's still a really cool a really cool fantasy. Yeah, yeah, no, it's super good, <laughs> super good. So yeah, um, so he broke the, uh, he broke reality there. <laughs> That's true. fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's see where I'm, where I'm at now. I'm, I'm gonna try to come to my first work here. Um, well, you invented not well, invented. Right, you, right, crea- right. you created a whole. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Idea around this. <laughs> here's the thing. Yeah. The claim that I started to play with was authorship. Like what's, what's the thing that makes someone, uh, an author uh, be connected to a specific artwork? Like why is, you know, Leonardo da Vinci, the author of the Mona Lisa? Like yeah. what, what's, what's behind that? Because in, in the, in Leonardo da Vinci's case, it's, Perhaps it's straightforward, but once you get into conceptual art, it it becomes a little bit more obfuscated, like with the um, with the the fountain, the urinal, because he right. didn't make it and he signed it. He didn't sign it with his name, and right. is it even relevant that he signed it? Perhaps it's not. So, right. so what's the component that 
brings authorship. Right. So I started to play with that being that it's about the claim. It's because he said so. It's because okay. he brought the urinal there and said, this is my work. That there's something there, perhaps. Um, so I was like, okay, well, in my all these spectrums that I have, that I push all the things to the left, there's no originality, there's no work, there's only one idea. Okay, what if that one idea is the claim? That is the only activity. Because I couldn't imagine something that had zero activities, right? Zero ideas. There has to be something. So I was like, okay, that one thing is going to be the claim. I claim this. Well, you had also mind. told me another uh, another evolution of your thinking with the, the sign, with the text and the sign painter. Does that come up soon? That's coming later. Okay. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's all like you could bring it up. I mean, sure, we could do that now. Because so that, that for me was a really clear explanation of what you're talking about. Because it right. was a really straight path to this claim of authorship. Okay, so it's another reference. It's uh, John Baldessari. He made a uh, he made a painting that says, uh, "Well, he there's two of them that are actually that are actually relevant for this." So the first one, he, the first one, it's just a white canvas, and it says, "Everything is purged from this painting, but art. No ideas have entered this work." And so here again, it, there's just this singularity that he's approaching. Mm -hmm. That it's it, it, there's no ideas, but still there's the idea of whatever it is. He made this thing, right? Yeah. So there's that one, uh, and then I I was playing around with that sentence, and I was thinking, okay, everything is purged from this uh, from this artwork. Uh, like what's I have to bring that one up so that I don't screw it up. <laughs> oh, yeah. Everything is purged from this artwork, but theft. No ideas have entered this work. Mm. I just... I just You just twisted the Twisted phrase. his phrase a little bit to see if I could make the sentence be relevant to what I was thinking about. In terms about. of authorship. In terms of authorship, exactly. Yeah. But I think the one that you were thinking about is actually another one, which is the tips for artists. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that explains your whole idea of authorship very clearly. Right. So that's the other Baldessari painting, which is, it's the same thing. It's a white canvas and it has, just has text on it. And it says, tips for artists who want to sell. And then there's a bunch of concrete tips on it. Uh, I mean, you can look it up yourselves on the internet, but it's something like, you know, paint, paint the sun, or I, I forget what the tips are, but it, they're very, very standard things that you can paint that whoever wrote this text thought was a good idea. Yeah, because it wasn't Baldessari who yeah, wrote and, the text. Yeah, and, and that's, that's what's important here, is that Baldessari, Baldessari never wrote it. He found this little as an ad or something in a, in a magazine there was this ad who, who, that said exactly this. Tips for artists who want to sell, blah, 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 blah. And maybe it was like a, an ad for a course or a little book or something. I, I don't know what, what the text referred to or if it was just tips in an art magazine. I should, it was just I should, something he found, though. I should look it up. But that's not so relevant here. What's relevant is that he, John Baldessari never wrote the text. And he actually... All, also, he never painted it on the canvas. He just ripped that thing out of the, of the magazine and he took it to a paint shop. Mm -hmm. 
to the sign painters and he said, hey, paint this on a white canvas. Yeah. And then he just paid them and then that was done, right? Mm -hmm. So Baldessari, you could think there, what was the actual work that he did? Mm -hmm. Well, he didn't paint the thing. Yeah. He had nothing to do with the actual art craft. Mm -hmm. There was nothing there. He didn't write, he didn't, he didn't come up with the text that he hired these people to write. The only thing that he did was he kind of orchestrated the, the, the work to be made. And also he, he recontextualized it by putting it on a canvas rather than as an ad in a magazine. You could kind of boil that down to you in one way. If you're forgiving, you could say he thought about, he thought of it. Yeah. I mean, if we, if we skip the thing of like, he tore the thing, he walked to the sign shop or he called the, on the phone. If you kind of skip that kind of logistical work, it boils down to he thought of it. Yeah, right? yeah, you could say that. So last reference, then I'm gonna come. To but can't my, but to my stuff. But you don't want to say that out of that because out of that uh -huh. example comes the perfect example of what you you arrived at. No, but there's one more thing okay. left, which is permission. Okay. Uh, and that that comes to the the reference is the there's a yeah what do you call it? it's not a painting not a draw it's a well it's an artwork called erased deconing drawing mm. and it's by uh, i guess it's uh robert rauch rauchenberry who did it in the 60s uh or 57 maybe this 1957 i should get this correct yeah um, yeah whatever <laughs> you can look it up i think it's 57 okay so R robert rauchenberry was this young art student and uh, Willem de Koning was a established painter, drawer, artist mm. in New York. So Rauchenberg had this idea. So he went to uh, Willem de Koning's home and knocked on the door. De Koning opens and says, uh, okay, how can I help you? And Rauchenberg said, I would like to have one of your drawings and I'm going to erase it. Mm -hmm. And de Koning, he kind of understood what Rauchenberg was going to do. So he's like, okay, yeah, I, I can do that. He went back, got a drawing for Rauchenberg, gave him the drawing. And then as Rauchenberg is about to leave, de Koning goes, actually, hold on a second, this should hurt. And then he takes back the drawing and goes back and gets a really good one. Mm. Something that he really thought this was a really you know, great drawing that I made. I mean, in his mind, compared yeah, yeah. So he gives that to, to uh, Rauchenberg. Rauchenberg leaves with the drawing. He goes home and he meticulously erases this pencil drawing mm. and then frames it up. And that's the artwork. Mm. So I was thinking about that. That Rauchenberg, he asked the Koning for permission. Mm. But is that what makes the artwork authentic or real? Mm. let's say he would have just broken into de Koning's home and stolen that drawing. Yeah. I went to an art museum and there's a drawing on the wall and he, you know, there's, yeah. no, there's no glass and you take an eraser and, and, and you do it right. Yeah. Like where do you draw the line there? Is that where authorship is located? Cause he got permission from de Koning. And I was like, well, that's, that, that seemed difficult for me to, to claim that. Yeah. And the other thing is like, he actually did something. He actually erased the drawing. Right. 
So I was like, he okay. changed it. He changed it, yeah. right? There was an there was some kind of altercation of the original. Yeah. So since I was since I was doing the spectrum stuff and pushing everything to the as left as far as you could, yeah, as far as I could, I was like, of course, I should not ask for permission. No permission, and also no altercation. Yep. Right. So now we're ready for the first one. Well, I liked what you did with the. Um Baldessari uh, tips for, for being a good artist thing. Yeah, tips for artists who wants to. Yeah, sell. yeah. Where then you had the thought where you said, well, he, he picked out text and then he hired a, a, a sign painter and produced a painting, produced a physical work. Yeah. And you had the thought to say, well, you could do that entire process without making that painting. Yeah. Without making the actual physical work. Yeah. You could just have an authorship uh, process where you go through that whole, that whole same thought process. Oh, here's this text. Oh, it could be a painting, but you didn't want to end up making the painting. Right. And I think that's also a little bit what's interesting about the deconing drawing is that it's the same paper. Yeah. So the, well, sure. He erased it, which kind of, it's, it's, it's some kind of activity there, but Let's say he didn't erase it, maybe, or he erased one dot on it. There was no other physical object made uh, of another piece of paper, for example. Right, 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 So you had this idea about how can I, because you're trying to get as close as you can to the left of your spectrum. Yeah. So actually producing a physical thing was also maybe not the best uh, solution to get as far as you could to the extreme. Right, right. Of your spectrum. Yeah. So, okay, quick recap. Okay. <laughs> the task is as few ideas as possible. One idea, let's say. Okay. No permission. Mm. No work whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. No activity on no your activity part. No activity on my uh, part. Physical activity or, or, or on your behalf. Exactly. As well, yeah. And no originality. Okay. okay. So I was like, okay, I should just claim another artwork that already exists i should just claim it as mine i mean that that was claim the, the authorship of another artwork that already already exists oh uh, yeah so you put an instead of taking a urinal that you never made or never had anything to do with mm. you just take another artwork right like like rauchenberg did with the coning he took another artwork but he asked for permission though and then he altered it yeah so i would say i don't ask for permission and i don't alter it i just okay. take another artwork it looks exactly the same and that's and then i just claim it as as mine and the only activity the only thing i do is the claim yeah so then i found a uh a, a quote by damien hurst who's a very famous artist from the uk and he said, on the 26th of April, 2018, he said, in the Times, he said, uh, I spot good ideas and I steal them. So then I thought, okay, he's, he's the perfect, uh, perfect first subject would be something by Damien Hirst. Well, yeah, just because just to just to bring that up, I mean this idea of authorship gets into what we were saying about plagiarism and theft and you're talking about permission and these things. So when Damien Hirst says, you know, I steal, <laughs> I steal, um, I steal, <laughs> then, I mean, that's exactly getting into the territory of what you're talking about with authorship. Yeah. About who, who owns that authorship and how do we judge that ownership? 
Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I was looking at a couple of different things. Because just, because just to say it's a conversation you're bringing up. I don't think necessarily by claiming ownership, it's by default that you're stealing something. That that's something to debate. Right. And I also, another important thing, I separated authorship and ownership here. There you go. So I do not what I, so I'm, I'm claiming this thing. But I'm not claiming that I own it. Or You're not discounting I, the original creator. Right. I'm not, I'm not changing anything. I don't claim that I own it. I don't, I don't claim that I you know, have, should have rights to royalties. or There's no legal aspect of it. Because when, you're ta- when you told me the Damien Hirst quote at first, it's kind of implying in the way you're laying all this out that everything's going to be about stealing and you're stealing and you're, you're a thief. Because like you had yeah. twisted the... Uh, the Baldessari quote earlier to have the word thief. Yeah, There's theft. been no theft, yeah. right? Yeah. But I just want to say that by default, it's not necessarily theft or um, you're not stealing anything necessarily. You could, I mean, it's a debate. It's a yeah. discussion. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So I was looking at different works by Damien Hirst and I found one that's called The Golden Calf. And The Golden Calf is... It's a uh, it's a real calf that's uh, in a big tank of formaldehyde formaldehyde solution, and the calf has gold uh, hoofs and gold horns, and there's also a gold kind of this gold plated circle um, around uh, above its head. And it's submerged in this big tank. Uh, so it like, looks like a big aquarium. Yeah. So that's, that's the golden calf. He made mm-hmm. it in uh, 2008. Yeah. So another, so what I was doing at this time, I was trying to make certificates for my own, some, some sculptures that I had done by my own. So I thought that, okay, like I'm, I'm going to claim this golden calf and I'm going to, state the claim on a certificate okay so i just took a piece of paper and i wrote certificate of authenticity this document certifies that the golden calf previously claimed by damien hurst in 2008 is an original artwork by eric orberg 2021 <laughs> and then there's <laughs> there, there's a little bit of a description what the artwork is which i you know copy pasted from information about about the actual golden calf that Damien Hurst did mm-hmm. I think I took it from his website and then uh, beneath that it says the seal and the signature on this document attest that it has been inspected and approved by Eric Orberg all information and statements herein are true and correct and then I numbered the certificates, certificate as one out of one and then I signed it and dated it and so you're saying this is a artwork that you created. I'm saying that the claim, I'm the claim mm-hmm. is my artwork, mm-hmm. which is an artwork that you created. Yes. And the claim is the that that the golden calf by Damien Hurst is your is your uh, piece of art. It's my piece of that art. you create that you created exactly that you just, made. just like Duchamp claimed that the the urinal that he didn't make. Right. So you say artwork. you say the golden calf by Damien Hurst is my artwork. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Cuz fair enough. I mean Duchamp he could have found out who made that urinal, right? 
Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Steve, <laughs> yeah. the urinal maker. Yeah, yeah. And then Duchamp or Armat or what, however you want to do that, right? Sure. But, yeah, okay, so that was the first one. That was the first. So that was the first artwork you created with this train of thought you've been on so far with these spectrums and exactly this idea about authorship. Exactly. So then I was just like, okay, I should make, you know, 10 works of art like this that kind of approach this idea from slightly different angles. Yeah, because you saw a lot of different discussions turning up around this idea. I mean, it opens the door to many different ideas. So yeah. you wanted to kind of investigate those different paths, I guess. Yeah. So you wanted to make different artworks that could bring up those ideas. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So another story that circulated around me around this time was this story about the called uh, the ship of theseus and it's this old story about uh, a ship that belonged to theseus the old uh, greek guy <laughs> and the idea is that one of the planks on this ship start is uh, you know is broken or starting to rot or something so you remove it you exchange the plank and then you put in a new plank, and then you ask, is, is it still the ship of Theseus? And of course, you probably go, yes, it's still the ship. But then you continue doing this until all the planks in the entire ship have been exchanged. Yeah. And then you ask, is it still the ship of Theseus? And yeah. You can answer that in different ways. Yeah. Maybe you, let's say you say, yes, it's still the ship. However, it just happens that the repairmen who was doing this work, they kept all those planks that were slightly broken. And now they put together a ship from all those planks. So there's mm. now two ships. Mm. There's the, the ship with all the exchanged planks and there's the ship of all the original planks. Mm -hmm. So which ship is the ship of Theseus? It's just this philosophical... I mean, we're, I mean we normally talk about juggling. Yeah. So we could talk about Michael Davis. <laughs> uh, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, go for it. What's go the it. what's the is it George Washington's axe? Is that or is it Yeah. Should we... I'm not a comedy juggler or I would know that by heart. But this is you know Michael Davis's famous act um which Penn Gillette says that he he gave my Michael Davis by the way. But uh Michael Davis says this is George Washington's axe. Uh, I've replaced the head and the handle, but it's the... Yeah, I replaced the head, the cloink, and the handle, smack. Yeah, That's... exactly. And then he says, I hope this doesn't fly off again. Right. In regards to the head. Yeah. That's kind of funny that Penn claims... I mean, in this... No, context, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, Penn Gillette, he, he made Michael Davis's career yeah. act, so... Yeah. yeah, yeah. so I was thinking about that, and then I was, you know, reflecting that back onto the... The golden calf and i was thinking oh okay well mm. which the golden calf now yeah. after i've made this claim is it mine am i the author or is damien hurst the author right and then there's all these you know like <laughs> okay if we take duchamp again there's this idea from him that the work is done in one's head that that's the work of conceptual art and that that the spectator is finishing the work in their mind so yeah, yeah i mean there was also the idea that the object because it used to be that the object itself held the value of the art 
Exactly. You would make the sculpture and inside that sculpture, literally phys- physicalized as a body yeah. that contained the art. But with the, with the fountain, I mean, it, it decoupled the idea of the art from the actual physical manifestation, whether it was a sculpture or a urinal, urinal or a drawing. Right. So the real artwork is not the urinal. It's, the, it's the, what's in your mind when you're confronted by it. Right. So if I took that to the, to the golden calf and I applied that same thinking onto that, I would ask, are there now two golden calves? Mm. There's, if, if, the, if, the, if the artwork is finished in the mind of the spectator, it's up to them to decide. When they're confronted with the golden calf, <laughs> it's up to them to decide, perhaps. Uh, are they looking at the golden calf by Damien Hirst? Or are they looking at the golden calf by Damien Hirst by Eric Olberry? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly that. So, right. so that was a little bit fun. And yeah, Ship of Theseus, Acts of, of um, Washington brought me to that place. Mm. Um, so, okay, moving on to the next artwork. Um, yeah. So the golden calf, that was already an artwork, while the the urinal, the fountain, in mm. Duchamp's case, that was not an artwork or considered an artwork right. before it, Duchamp. Which was the whole point of Duchamp. Right. Yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah. right. So then I was thinking like, okay, perhaps I should do something like that and see what happens if I claim something that isn't already an artwork. Mm. And if, if there could be some kind of act of, of claim, that, that could be interesting. So then... Uh, the you want Yeah, to, because uh, that's the thing. Your whole point is you don't want to do any work or have any originality. So taking Damien Hirst's piece, which is already uh, an artwork, yeah. then, well, that's maybe easy to be considered art yeah. because it's already art. But can you take something that's not art with no work and no originality and then therefore it's art? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so one reference is Yves Klein. So in 1947, he and two of his friends, Claude Pascal and Armand Fernandez, they were laying on the beach, I believe, and they were dividing the universe between them. So Armand claimed materiality of the earth. So everything material, he said, that's mine. Mm. And Pascal claimed language and words. And then Klein, he claimed the sky, like the void, the planet empty of all matter. So everything that wasn't anything, kind of. Mm-hmm. He claimed that as his artwork. And he symbolically signed the sky, uh, signed his name in the sky. Yeah. So I was thinking about that. And then I was like, okay, well, what, what can we do here? And I was coming, you know, from a background of both sculpture and performance. So I thought perhaps it's fitting that I try to claim something that isn't an object, but it's an activity. I tried a few things in my mind and I finally settled for the Vanta Black controversy, which is this dispute between uh, Anish Kapoor, very famous uh, artist who, you know, he made the cloud gate, the thing that looks like a big cashew nut in Chicago Mm. and a couple of other things, the bean and the, the dispute is between him and an, another artist called Stuart Semple. So Anish Kapoor, he, th- there's the, a company that, that like a chemical company that, that uh, made a black uh, uh, pigment, Yeah. which is the most, the blackest pigment in the world. And it's called Vanta black. 
The company is called Surrey Nano Systems. Hmm. So they made this black pigment that was like the blackest of black that has ever been, you know, created. So Kapoor, who's very famous and very, I mean, I guess he has a lot of money. He somehow struck a deal with them that he bought the exclusive rights to use Vanta Black as an art material. Yeah. And uh, this, you know, this thing, this deal caused immediate friction in the art world. And many were pissed off at Kapoor because, you know, you're, you're stealing from, you're stealing this potential from the art world. Like anybody should be able to, this is an art material. It's yeah, not should have access work. to use yeah, it. Yeah, everybody should be able to access this, this black. And, and so one guy, this Stuart Semple, then as a response to this, he, he made some kind of pink Hmm. Uh, pigment and call this the pink the pinkest pink and it was posted for sale on his website with uh, a legal rider that says by adding this product to your cart you confirm that you are not Anish Kapoor you are in no way affiliated to Anish Kapoor you are not purchasing this item on behalf of Anish Kapoor or an associate of Anish Kapoor to the best of your knowledge, information, and belief, this paint will not make its way into the hands of Anish Kapoor. Mm. So he did that, and then Anish Kapoor, of course, managed to get uh, some of the some of the, some paint, of the paint, and he yeah. dips his middle finger in it, and there's the picture of that, and you can find that online. Yeah. So I was like, okay, this this is kind of an interesting little art dispute. Yeah. So I was like, that's I'm gonna claim it as my work. Okay. So. That then became artwork number two. So again, certificate of authenticity. This document certifies that the Vanta Black controversy on Kapoor versus Stuart Simple is an original artwork by Eric Oberg in 2021. And then the same type of information after that. And what I think is fun about that, I, I know you're, you're, you're kind of locating this dispute as a, as a kind of a time in history. But last week I was just reading online, they've, some artists came up with the whitest white. Oh, really? And so what I'm wondering is, is this Anish Kapoor, is your artwork finished? You know, it could be another, this dispute, I just mean, could grow. <laughs> yeah, it, potentially, I guess it could grow. Someone else get, gets involved. I think, if, so, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I think someone made a more black. Yeah, black I saw that. Since this. Yeah, to, 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 and I think it was in relationship to this, right? To overcome the. Oh, yeah, okay. Hanish Kapoor. Uh, anyway, yeah, yeah, it was in a relationship, yeah. Anyways, moving on. <laughs> so after the Kapoor versus Semple thing, I wanted to explore something that was not an artwork in itself, but held some significance in relation to a famous artwork. And, and uh, I had recently seen a presentation by uh, Marcia Nehmer, who is a PhD student in, in Stockholm, and she made she did this presentation that involved the theft of the Mona Lisa in 1911. Mm. And there's a there's a famous picture on the wall in the Louvre where you can see the absence of the Mona Lisa, and you just see these metal pegs. Oh, there, there's a picture of the wall in exactly the where the where the Mona Lisa used to hang had been stolen. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So there's that picture. And I was thinking about that and, and I saw those pegs and I was like, well, the Mona Lisa, this is, you know, one of the most famous artworks in the world. I'm not going to claim that, but you need to have something like that in order to hang the Mona Lisa to, to 
put it on the wall. Like you need those pegs. Those right. are actually, they hold some significance. And then I was like, okay, I should claim the pegs. But of course, like if let's say I do that and someone took it seriously, you could just change the pegs hmm. to something else. And if that doesn't satisfy, you could even, you know, just put the picture on the, on the floor or lean it against the wall or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, I shouldn't claim the pegs. It should be like this flexible artwork that I just claim whatever it is that, that, that mounts the Mona Lisa. Yeah. So, so the certificate became this, uh, this document certifies that the hooker mount that holds the Mona Lisa is an original artwork by Eric Wolberg 2021. If the Mona Lisa is moved or the support structure is exchanged, the new mount or structure is claimed as the artwork. If the Mona Lisa is laid on the floor or leaned against something, the covered floor or wall or object plus an additional 50 centimeters in each direction is claimed as the artwork. Mm. And this was kind of a difficult text to construct. So somewhere around here, I began to understand what, what's the what's the art activity in this specific field of art mm-hmm. that i now I, I called it stolenism and the wait activity, you called what stolenism this doing these certificates so okay so this whole kind of exploration you're on right now you kind of you call it stolenism yeah, I these I, these works of art. The the Golden Calf by Damien Hirst by Eric Oberry is Yeah, what is, what what art genre does it belong in? Mm. That's the question. So I conceptualized this new art genre that I called stolenism, yeah. which is just uh, claims of other uh, claims of things that you have not done yourself. Mm. That's the activity. Gotcha. That's the only activity in this uh, in this uh, artistic field. And I started to work on a manifesto that mm. we'll come to later. Okay. Where I tried to state these things. And then I realized what is the actual craft of stolenism. And the craft of stolenism is to construct these sentences of claim. Yeah. Because it wasn't so easy. You know, you see those pegs on the wall and you're like, oh, what am I going to claim? How am I going to say that? So it became like, it became this little craft to. Okay to construct the sentences of claim. Mm. So that was kind of interesting with, with that work. What was that number three? That, Artwork, Stolenism number three was... Yeah, the, the, the Mona, Mona Lisa, Lisa pegs. Yeah. Okay. So since John Cage the been super influential to a lot of things that I do, I was like, I should do something that has to do with John Cage and with music, perhaps. Mm. Just, again, new angle. So why not music? Yeah. So then I found this John Cage piece called Organ 2, or uh, Organ to the Power of 2, slash as slow as possible. So I guess he wrote the original piece in... Uh, eighty-five, I think, and then he, he, he uh, made the as slow as possible version in eighty-seven. If mm. I don't get this completely messed up, mm-hmm. so the idea—it's—it's it's a piece of music, but it has no it. The the length of it is not set. You can, mm. it's feel free to interpret in terms of length. Mm. So there's an organ in a church in Germany in 
the church is called St. Berchardi in, and the city is called Halberstadt. And they're actually playing this piece as slow as possible. And they've arranged it so that it plays from 2001 and it's going to end in 2640. Mm. So it's going to, it spans over 639 years. So I was looking at that and I was like, okay, that perhaps could be something interesting with that. Well, I'm not going to claim the entire piece, but I'm going to claim the last note of that piece. So the certificate became that this document certifies that the, la- that the last chord of uh, as slow as possible at St. Berchardi Church in Halberstadt, Germany, is an original artwork by Erik Åberg. So that became the work in music. Mm. So I moved on to, and then I thought about finance and economy. Mm. It's like, okay, what can we do here? Uh, well, everybody's onto Bitcoin and NFTs and things like that. So it's like, okay, what could I claim in kind of the crypto world that could hold some significance? Mm-hmm. So I decided to claim the Genesis block of Bitcoin. And I'm not going to go into what that is. Mm. It takes too long. If you're interested to know what the genesis block of Bitcoin is and how Bitcoin works, feel free to educate yourselves. There's <laughs> more than plenty of resources. Yeah, but that was the that was the fifth certificate. So that the genesis blo- the genesis block of Bitcoin is a artwork by Eric Oberry. Exactly. Okay. Um, so then I started, started thinking about, okay, if that's finance, that's economy, that's, you know, we're getting into life. And I was like, okay, what about this thing about life dependency? Like claim something that we're all dependent on in terms of living. Perhaps that could be interesting. Sorry, just to, just to back up a second. I mean, it's too bad that your stolenism means you can't do anything at all because, uh, if you made an, 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 uh, NFT of your Genesis block of Bitcoin artwork, you could sell it, then that'd been good. Yeah. Would have been a nice meta event. There could be an adjacent. Okay. <laughs> adjacent practice to, to get. Yeah. To do that. So okay. Maybe I'll do that. All right. Um, but anyways, uh, I came across this artwork by uh, a Japanese artist called Nobo Sekin. He is from a Japanese collective called the Monoha. And the artwork is called Face Mother Earth. And was done in 1968. And what Face Mother Earth is, it's this huge cylinder of soil that has been carved out from the ground, mm. and then play. So it's it's a it's probably. Uh, let's see if I have the dimensions. I might have the dimensions here. I but, do not. But then it's been placed it. next to the yeah, hole. Let's say it's two meters in diameter, something like that. Uh huh. And then it has been lifted out from the ground and placed next to the cavity where it used to, uh, where it used to be. Yeah. So then I was thinking about that, like what's actually, what's Nubo claiming as a artwork in this piece? Like, mm-hmm. is he claiming the soil cylinder? Is he claiming the void that the cylinder is not, is the space that the cylinder, cylinder used to occupy? Yeah. Is he claiming both of those? Is he claiming the idea to carve out the cylinder and place it next to it? 
so there was a lot of thoughts like that that was interesting to kind of go through. Mm-hmm. And then I and I kind of got stuck with that that the the void there that the cylinder used to occupy. There's the air in that void. So I was thinking like, okay, what if I claimed air at some specific place? Mm. And uh, I came to think about our Basel, the convention of art that uh, happens every year. So I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna claim the air at Art Basel as a work of art. Okay. I mean, if if Nobu Sakin can claim the air <laughs> where the soil used to be, I can claim the air at Art Basel. It's the same concept. I so think. the air at Art Basel yeah, is a work of art. So the certificate became, <laughs> this document certifies that the air at every Art Basel from 2021 and onward with the exception of exhaust breath from cigarette smokers, is an original artwork by Erik Åberg, 2021. That became the work. All right. Okay. So but that, I can I can vape at Art Basel, and it's yours. You can vape, and it's yours. But it, it's yours. It's mine. But <laughs> but if you smoke, then I'm I All don't right. have anything to do with that. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right. So next artwork. I started to think about absence. So since John Cage made that piece, 433, and it was this musical piece that was void of music, void of sound, and I'm dealing with theft and claim of authorship, obviously I have to make an artwork that's where I don't claim authorship of anything. Okay. Kind of like the 433 version of Stalinism. Okay. So the certificate became... This document certifies that the ab- that the absence the absence of theft is an original artwork by Erik Wallberg, twenty twenty one. Okay. So this artwork con- contains no stolen ideas, concepts, or objects, material, immaterial, or conceptual. All right. So it's just this claim that nothing has been stolen or copied. That's the idea. Okay. It's getting pretty far out. So that had to exist. Yeah. And um, then next I came across some the, these date paintings by Japanese artist Onkawara. Uh-huh. So he takes a canvas. It's a monochrome background, like blue or red. And then whatever, I think he paints the date when he makes the painting. So if it's the 4th of May, mm-hmm. 1991, he'll paint just in letters, kind of like Baldessari, the same, same idea, just paint those letters. 4th of January, 2021. Yeah. And I also know that he, depending on where he is, so if he's in Spain, he'll use Spanish. If he's in somewhere okay. else, he'll use... I don't think he uses, like... If, he, if he's in China, I think he uses Esperanto. He has some... Mm. He has something where he doesn't use sign signs. I think it's always, it's always what is it? Roman uh-huh. letters, characters, yeah, characters, yeah, or Latin okay. Latin characters, sure, uh, whatever it is. But the letters that we that we're used to seeing in English. <laughs> so <laughs> Esperanto is that made up language. Uh, so so I saw those, and then I was thinking about those, and I was thinking like okay what's what's this claim about what's he actually claiming here as to be the author of well it's just this painting but the painting is pointing at something it's pointing at a date 
And yeah, it kind of represents... Yeah, it, there, it's some kind of representative for this date. But what happened on his date, that on Kawara doesn't own that. Yeah, had nothing to do... He had nothing to do with that. Right. Except that he's alluding to it. Right, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. it's not... It, it's, it's, of course, it's, it's inter- interpretative to, to think about it like that, which, yeah. is fi- which is fine. Right. But I do think, like, I saw the one that said, you know, 10th of September 20, uh, 2001... Mm-hmm. So it's the you know the day before the September eleventh mm-hmm. uh, attacks. Right. So it becomes very loaded. Yes. Like that, he's not claim. So what's what's going on here? I was thinking about that and like the consequence of the things that took place on that date mm-hmm. uh, is somehow whether that's on Kawara's intention or not. Mm-hmm. It's somehow incorporated into the work. Right. So at first I thought like, well, I should claim a date in the future that hasn't occurred yet. Right. That that would be somehow, this potential was somehow interesting. But Mm -hmm. then I was like, ah, well, okay, that didn't quite satisfy. So then I was like, I should claim something. You got to claim the date in the future when Gato comes back from retirement, man. That would be something. (laughs) something. I'm claiming the date when Gato comes back from his retirement. Yeah, Uh, yeah. All the juggling that takes place on that day. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's like original artwork by. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah. No, but but so I was thinking about this. Okay, so you have something. Okay, you have a you're claiming a date, and potentially something very significant could occur on that date, right? Yeah. And your artwork is somehow making a claim about that somehow, even if that has nothing to do with you. Hmm. So and I saw that that one the tenth of September and I was like wow that's that's pretty loaded, and you could imagine something again spectrum thinking. Mm-hmm. What's the most loaded thing that you could claim? Like mm. you claim you know the the date of when the eruption of the World War Two or mm. you know ideas like that the the date that the atomic bomb the nuclear bomb was dropped or mm. the, you know the first Beatles album. I mean you can you can play around with that kind of thing, right? Mm. from different perspectives and then on the other hand at the other side of the spectrum you could claim something that's completely insignificant right you claim something okay. you know i don't know the day nothing happened yeah yeah for whatever you could make some statistical uh you know investigation of what was the most insignificant date in history okay <laughs> however you would uh, you know, quantify that, and then you claim that date. So th- there's some kind of spectrum there. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, okay, I could do either of those kind of ends, but then perhaps I could create something that's flexible, that kind of conceptually covers the entire spectrum, depending on okay how you position it. So then I was like, okay, what's the greatest work of art? Uh, well, that's you know highly subjective, of course, but uh, let's take, just as an example, let's take the statue of David by Michelangelo. Mm-hmm. And that could be a representation of the greatest work of art that was ever created. Yeah. All right. Okay. So I was thinking about the statue of David and then I was thinking about my, you know, okay, I'm going to claim that. No, I don't want to do that. I want to claim flexibility here. So I was thinking about Michelangelo and then... Uh, I was thinking, okay, let's say something happened when he was working on the statue of David. Mm-hmm. What if something happened during that process that had 
great significance to the artwork. Okay. And then I was thinking, okay, let, let's, let's just assume that one day he had a hangnail. So okay. he had a lot of pain in one of his fingers. So he could not work that day. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I just imagined that event. And I imagined, I, like I looked up when that statue was, you know, carved. And it was between, I think, 1501 and 1504 or something like that. So I just picked a random date in that span. So mm. I picked the 7th of March, 1503. Yeah. And I just imagined that Michelangelo had a hangnail that day. Okay. And he did not work because of that. The pain in his finger prevented him from working. And the idea there is that, because I, I told this to you and you, could, and you said something like, yeah, you could just power through. It has no consequence. And, and that's great because then it's insignificant, right? You're, you're starting to push towards the end of the spectrum there. If it's in, you had the hangnail, but you're still working, so it was insignificant. Okay. And then I was thinking, well, you could push it even further because I don't know if he even had a hangnail. Maybe he didn't. Right. That's perhaps conceptually even more insignificant, this kind of imaginary hangnail. Okay. <laughs> right? Yeah. So we're really at the far end of the spectrum there. Yeah. But then we can, we can push it on to the other side of the spectrum too because we could imagine that he had a hangnail and he didn't work on that day. And if he would have worked on that day, he would have slipped with a hammer and he would have cracked the statue. Okay. And if that's true, which there is a slight probability that that occurred. I'm, I'm not saying that it's a, the probability is very high mm. that this is an actual thing in, in the past. But that there is, it's not completely uh, improbable, right? Okay. So there's that chance. And if that's true, then that hangnail had great consequence. And if we now position this statue of David as the greatest artwork ever yeah. created, then this hangnail has huge consequence. Okay. So with this thinking, I managed, I managed to cover the entire spectrum. Yeah, I get From you. complete insignificance. Right. It didn't even happen to, you know, the highest of significance because it did happen. It did prevent him from working that day and he would have slipped and he would have cracked the statue. Right? Okay. And then you can imagine all the points in between the, on the on that spectrum like yeah he cracked it a little bit but he exchanged the pinky toe or he fixed it or whatever right yeah yeah so the certificate is this document certifies that michelangelo's hangnail that which prevented him from working on the 7th of march 1503 is an original artwork by eric orbeck <laughs> 2021 if he did not have a hangnail on that on this date treat this as a work of surrealism <laughs> Surrealism, yeah. So that's that's that. Okay. Certificate. Yeah. That was number eight. All two right. more. Two more. Yeah, I, li I like these last two. I mean, they 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 get even more fun and more wacky. <laughs> I think. <laughs> more, so more far out. So then this this significance thing. Uh, I was I was thinking about that and like how how do I crack like what's the most powerful work artwork that could exist because mm. someone could just say well well I don't think that. Statue of David is the most significant one. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, something else is, sure. is the most significant. Oh, fair enough. It's that subjective. So the answer lays in the, in the mind of the individual. So how do I access that space mm -hmm. in terms of a claim, in terms of a certificate? Okay. So I came up with two solutions. Yeah. So the first one was to just leave a dotted line. 
Yeah, a blank claim. Yeah, a blank claim. Uh, that maybe that. The, the, so the certificate becomes certificate of authenticity. This document certifies that. And then you could write anything in there. And then it's an ori- original artwork by Eric Orbit. And then you, yeah, back to Duchamp again. Fill the, it in. The, the, the artwork is finished in the mind of the spectator. You, f- fill, you fill that in. in. Yeah. What you think, right? Gotcha. Okay, so that became artwork number nine. Yeah, that's fun. But I wasn't, I wasn't completely satisfied with that because then I was thinking like, well, then it's done. You fill that in, and then you show it to someone else, and then they go, no, but I think you know something else is the. Yeah. The greatest thing and okay and then I was just like well I could include an eraser yeah 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 and they could erase or it or you could have a stack of certificates uh, yeah an exactly. infinite stack of certificates for yeah. each person and something like that I make it into a website and you fill it yeah, in on yeah, the website yeah. gotcha there's a couple of ways to come around that yeah which I thought was like okay that's that's kind of fun but n- none of them satisfied yeah, but number 10 is, but then what you did was good. Right, right, right. So then I was like, how do I do this concretely? And uh, so then I thought, okay, I, I went back to that moment where I imagined Rauchenberg stealing the de Koning uh, mm-hmm. drawing instead of asking for his permission. Right. And now I'm here in my situation, I'm making these uh, certificates. Yeah. So then I imagine this hypothetical situation where I make an make a certificate where I, where I claim something mm. and that that certificate gets stolen. Okay. So there's no certificate mm. and instead I have to make a note and put in the box there so that I can talk about this artwork that says what the certificate was because the certificates are just one out of one. Mm-hmm. They only exist in one copy, so I can't make another one. Mm. So I'll just make this notes, this note, and, and so that I can remember it. But what if I do not remember? Okay. So <laughs> then, and that's where the fun begins, of course. Right. So the the tenth work. So the note says, "This certificate is missing because someone stole it. I do not remember what was claimed, but I recall the feeling." As an explosion of complete and pure brilliance. <laughs> Why not? Ne- wait, 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 wait. Why not? It's not done. <laughs> okay. Next time you see a really great work of art, feel free to refer to it as the tenth. It could be it. Yeah, that's cool. I like that a lot. So I kind of looked at all these artworks and I tried to. Uh, distilled ex- down yeah exactly what's the essence here what's if if this is uh the artistic genre of stolenism what's the manifesto like what's the rules that all these artworks are trying to uh follow yeah. so i wrote the manifesto which has eight points so point number one of the stolenist manifesto Stolenism is the artistic movement of pure artistic theft in the form of a claim. Number two, claim of authorship is the only artistic activity that can exist in this field. No other activity enters the work. Number three, the artworks or subjects are not altered in any way. Number four, no permission is asked for. 
Number five, the artworks are not signed nor taken possession of. Number six, until now, artwork authorship has been obfuscated, ambivalent and subjective. Stolenism is transparent, concrete, distinct and a matter of fact. Number seven, the one who claims to be the author is recognized as author. Number eight, the world is yours. Okay, <laughs> so that's your manifesto. That's the, that, that's the manifesto. And also I'll say one more thing about the about it, which is the title, Stolenism. So at first I was like, oh, what should I call it? Thievery, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Claimism. And then I was like, Stolenism. And the reason, I, I don't think the name is fantastic, but why I settled for it is, is because it was similar in how it sounds to stoicism okay and i just thought that it was it would be funny if someone confused the two at some point okay stoicism i'm gonna stoicism. claim i'm gonna claim that confusion as an artwork by jay gilligan <laughs> there you go yeah but we were, we were talking a little bit about this idea of where does where could this end i mean in the metaphorical kind of extreme again of your spectrum where's the extreme end of stolenism and it's like well you know, you're talking about um, claiming the the void, claiming all the air on earth and claiming the, the land and the language. And it's like, you know, exactly that. I claim the earth as mine. And then, of course, you can say I claim, uh, the, well, you could say the world, which maybe includes all of the things on on the earth and all the culture and all the everything that exists, all, the, all of life, right? And you can start to say that I what's bigger than that you know i claim the i claim the universe and then i claim infinity and then I, maybe at the end of it is i claim all the claims is maybe the ultimate uh, right i mean some sort of yeah after doing these things what 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 then what's the question what what's the result that it brings for for me and for my own thinking and it, there there's something about just thinking about what is the component that brings someone authentic authorship? What is originality? And where is that line between, you know, originality and derivative? And how much do you have to alter th something for it to... to to and be to be for there to be some kind of authenticity for you as well, an artist. Thing. Yeah, and not only for you, but then how do you express that to the community? Because maybe in your head you're doing this Stolenism, and the Golden Calf is is your artwork by Damien Hirst. But if nobody else knows that, that can also be something you have to be confronted with, right? Or maybe not even that nobody else knows that, but everybody knows that, but nobody recognizes that. That's a discussion that you have to confront yeah. in your life inside the community of where you stand. And especially when we start talking about Joan Bourgeois and his and his uh, and this video that surfaced on Vimeo of comparing his work to other people's work or his again, his work in quotation marks. Um, now we're talking about buying and selling things. I remember mean, talking about money here and commercialism and the way people make their living. So it's not just morals and ethics, but it's, you know, it gets into into other sorts of areas and especially in the world of circus and juggling, you have this idea that we're all standing on the shoulders of giants. That is the phrase that's used all the time. And I think when you're talking about Stolenism and claiming authorship over these other, all these different things and these funny thought experiments, um, it really, of course, 
brings up all those same discussions around the idea of what do you mean standing on shoulders of giants and where exactly does that how does that process go who who gets to who gets to claim what and who gets to agree with those claims and and how are those claims communicated to others and organized and agreed upon and and whatever else right so i think there's a lot of discussions there to be had yeah hopefully hopefully these works brought some kind of perspective to someone uh, that that could be useful yeah man great thanks a lot thank you